Good morning. Thank you, Vic, and the worship team. Uh, my name is Matt Miller. I am one of six elders here at Northfield, and uh, it is indeed an honor to bring the Word of God this morning. I want to start, start us off with a prayer, and then we're going to do a little social experiment, or at least start one. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would uh, open our hearts to your Word this morning, mine first. Lord, I pray that as we're here this morning that we could just... Um, sort through your word and figure out how it applies to our lives, and that you would remind us every minute of our complete need for you, Lord. And just uh, open our eyes to how we see ourselves and how we see you as well. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A little disclaimer before I start. Um, uh, Some of the material I'm using this morning comes from a Bible commentary by James Montgomery Boyce, and another a little bit here and there from Paul Tripp. So, If you have any criticism with the content, I ask that you mail, snail mail them. Uh, I will remain fully responsible for the delivery of said content. Uh, So, to start off, let's pretend the most famous person in the world is coming to town. Um, There they are, okay. Uh, I don't know, maybe your famous person is now on this list. I don't even know who five of those people are. Um, But... According to Google, those are the 10 most famous people in the world currently. Uh, but let's just, mine would probably be John, John Wayne, so that dates me a little bit. But let's just say your favorite person's coming to town, and you might have a chance to sit down with them and face-to-face, have a conversation. Maybe take that a step further, you, maybe, maybe you have a chance to eat dinner with them, swap cell phone numbers, build a friendship at some point. Uh, maybe you get to vacation with them and go to their, their summer home for, you know, for boating and things like that. Maybe you spend the holiday with them. That's how close you could potentially get to maybe not one of these. Just keep that person, whoever your person is in your mind, keep that in your mind. Okay, so what would you pay for that? And if you don't have a lot of money, what would you sacrifice for that opportunity? So I want you to hold that thought. Um, if you have been here for the past three weeks, you'd have heard us teaching uh, that grace comes through faith not through works. Uh, In simple terms, we can't earn our salvation. Um, uh, In Romans, Paul's been addressing Jewish believers in this little section primarily, uh, and it was a group that was having a hard time with the grace-only side of salvation. Uh, They they were just, that works thing was ingrained in them. They they had to do it. And so uh, we're going to read our text this morning. It's page 941 in your pew Bible. I'll have it up on the wall as well. It's Romans 4, 13 through 25, and we're going to roll through all those in one shot. Starts out, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression." Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, 
he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Paul has been shooting down uh, three arguments concerning living by the law. And he switches to using a little bit of reverse logic for these folks because they were maybe having a hard time understanding it. And we're going to move pretty quickly through these because I think that they've been covered pretty well in the past few weeks. Uh, So if we're saying that the law saves, which some of the Jews were saying, then faith has no value. It's impossible to be saved by by faith. Uh, It's to be saved by the law and by faith. It would be like leaving Tremont and driving to New York and San Francisco at the same time. It it can't be done, two opposites. If we're saying the law saves, then God's promise is worthless. Paul proved earlier in Romans that nobody has ever fulfilled the law. It's impossible. So if the law is what saves us, we're doomed. Doomed. The scriptures are clear. The law is in place to show us where we have fallen short. And if we're saying the law saves, then that means the law doesn't condemn. The, perp- the purpose of any law is to draw a line in the sand. This is okay, and this isn't okay. Break this law, and these consequences apply. And since we can't fulfill the law, which we've already established, the law will simply bring condemnation. So, if those things are all true, where does that leave us? Well, Paul uses Abraham to tell us we're left simply with God's promise. That's it. Pure and simple. God's promise, God will do what he says he'll do. So Paul opens the door again in a tactical change of argument. He's been telling us, the Jews and and the folks in the book of Romans, what they can't do. Now he switches to what they can do. Um, Our faith, what we can't do is works. What we can do is have faith. And so our faith doesn't save us. God saves us by our faith through his grace. And this is where Paul uses Abraham. He paints a a wonderful picture using the story of Abraham, who the Jews considered their father. And Paul uses this to assure them that God will do what he says he's going to do. And to make that applicable to today, Paul is saying uh, uh, the promise to us is grace through Christ. Um, It comes to those who have faith and that he will do what he promises. So what do we want to learn from Abraham? And what do we want to emulate? If you all, maybe some of you have got this, uh, the jingle's already going through your head. The, remember the Gatorade commercial, I want to be like Mike? We're going to change that up a little bit. We're going to be like Abraham. Um, it's not quite as catchy, uh, but I think it'll catch on. Uh, so Abraham, the very first thing that we're told that we can glean from this is Abraham had faith based on the bare words of God and nothing else. Abraham didn't have the law. He didn't have the written word. He didn't have anything. He simply had what God told him. God told him this. Abraham believed. That was it. God spoke. Abraham believed. We've got so much more than Abraham had. We've got the full canon of scripture. We've got evidence here and there of God's working and how how his word is fulfilled, how he fulfills his word. So um, to put this into practice, to apply it to ourselves, I'm going to ask you, How is God speaking to you 
through his word? And how are you living that out? God spoke, Abraham believed. What do we know from the Bible and from what God's telling us, and how are we living that out? This guy named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, and he must be important because he has three names and an initial. Um, Faith is content with the bare word of God because he is God. Faith is content with the bare word of God because he is God. I'm a slide or two behind. Sorry about that. The second thing Abraham had was uh, a faith despite many circumstances to the contrary. Verse 19 tells us, without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. As Brady said last week, um, Abraham had fathered a child with the housekeeper at the age, somewhere around the age of 86. Clearly not his finest moment, and a wonderful example of us trying to help God fulfill his will because we think we know better or how to do it faster or more efficiently, whatever. But where we're talking about now, this story is, this is 14 years after that. Abraham is 100 years old. 100. His wife is 90 Abraham's experience, his circumstances, told him something opposite of what God was telling him. All right? Can you imagine going to your doctor and saying, hey, doc, we're, we're expecting? No, you're not. You're 100 years old. You've got, you've got COVID. You've got something. You're not expecting. Trust me. <laughs> um, let's bring this nugget a little closer to home, and I got his permission to do this. Uh, let's say Ken Stuber and Pink had a child two years ago. Ken is 88 right now, so back two years ago, he's 86. He'd be one of the guys out in the foyer chasing the kid around that wouldn't go to class because his son Dale is teaching the two-year-old class right now, and Dale has scared the kid to death. Um, So uh, in 12 years, Ken's going to be 100 years old. How many people here believe that Ken's going to have a child in 12 years? Sorry, Ken. (laughs) Oh, Larry, we got one vote. Larry. This was so crazy in the book of Genesis where this story is that it said that Abraham fell on his face laughing when God told him this. Now, I'm not sure I'd be up for laughing if God spoke audibly to me, but this must have been pretty funny to Abraham. Um, It's funny, right? But I want to look at this for a moment, just for a brief moment through the eyes of Sarah and possibly Abraham as well when they heard this news. Um, this, they lived in a land where children were treasured. It was, your lineage was important. If you didn't have a, a family to pass your, your inheritance down to, um, you walked around with a big red flag basically saying, look at me, I don't have, I don't have children. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, it went against um, tradition, it went against everything in their society. And I think, unfortunately, there's many here who may grasp that a little deeper than I do even. Um, I know there are folks here who struggle with infertility. Uh, so it's, it's truly heartbreaking. Let's look at this from Sarah's eyes at that moment. Sarah's 90 years old. 
90 years old. And that little stunt they pulled with the housekeeper only drove home the fact that she was the one who was infertile, not Abraham. And so imagine the isolation she felt in that. 90 years. 90 years of doubt. 90 years of frustration. 90 years of humiliation, of hurt. And then God speaks to her husband and says, she's going to have a baby at 90 years old. I know what's going th- I mean, I know what would be going through my mind if I was her. There is no way. My husband's nuts, and God is crazy too. There is no way this is going to happen. Because her circumstances told her exactly what was going to happen. But God had a different plan, didn't he? So I had to think, how am I like Sarah and maybe Abraham as well in that? How am I allowing my circumstances um, to affect my faith? And I had to think about that, I guess, in the way I pray, is the way it jumped into my mind immediately. How do I pray for somebody who has end-stage cancer and they've asked for prayer? Is it, do I pray for healing? Do I pray, what do I pray for? All of my earthly experience tells me that this is going to end in something other than their physical healing here on this earth. They're going to be healed when they get to heaven. And yeah, I mean, that's a, nice, that's a nice way to package that all up and set it aside. But in reality, how am I praying and what am I praying for? The folks in the Bible were commended for their faith because they believed something that wasn't, that their circumstances told them otherwise. I was challenged the other day by somebody I look up to uh, greatly, a prayer warrior for sure. Um, it was a timely and accurate challenge, quite frankly. We were discussing prayer of somebody who has some chronic health issues and I sort of flippantly made the comment that, well, because this has been going on for this long, circumstances, because this has been going on for this long, it's most likely going to continue on, right? And the somewhat fiery but loving correction um, is that I cannot enter into prayer, prayer praying for something with my conclusion already drawn of what God's going to do. I got no idea what God's going to do. I'm to pray in faith. How effective will my prayer be if I'm praying for something I already I think is going to happen. I don't think is going to happen, actually. I pray for healing if I don't think that person's going to be healed. So having faith in something that's obvious isn't, isn't really faith, is it? Um, what if I told you, as a little example, that uh, there's, uh, Old Faithful is going to erupt in 60 to 110 minutes. Um, the eruption will be 100 to 180 feet high, and it might last between 1.5 and 5 minutes. I know what you're all thinking. This man is a prophet sent from the Lord. Right? No. It's obvious. That's, uh, that's what's going to happen. Um, having faith in something we haven't seen, can't see, can't even imagine, that is true faith. So many of you are familiar with uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It lists a bunch of people from the Old Testament and commends them for their faith. Abraham has made that list, actually. Uh, this is the clo- closing portion of chapter 11, um, verse 32 through 40. It's page 1008 in your Bible if you want to read it. Uh, otherwise, it'll be on the wall. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, and whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
Women receive back their dead and ra- raised to life again. And we cha- we, th- at this point in, we, we change a little bit. The tone changes. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that together with us they would be made perfect. Think about that for a minute. Those, those folks lived their, lived their life without ever seeing the result of God's promise. They walked in faith to the point of death with the promise of what was coming, and they stayed faithful until the very end. And you know what? God fulfilled those promises. They just never got to see it. Abraham laughed out loud at the idea of fathering a child. And the reason why he laughed, because he knew the only thing he brought to the table was faith. That's it. He was, it, he was as good as dead. And they're using this example because there was nothing, he had nothing to offer. Faith, that was it. Which takes us nicely back to Paul's saved by grace alone point. Since we are saved by God's grace through faith, faith is it. That's all we bring to the table. So you remember our experiment from earlier? Do you all have that person in your head who you'd like to meet? Um, who you'd like to have dinner with, maybe get to know. So I'd like you to imagine that person is at Purdue's right now, sitting at the bar, eating a horseshoe or whatever. Um, And let's just say he's alone in there, or she, and there is this giant guy at the door with a clipboard standing there. And the only way to get in there is through that guy. You would do anything to get on that list, anything. And so you're thinking in your mind, I got this plan. I'm going to, I'm going to bring something to this guy. He'll let me in for sure. And so you hustle around, look around and you bring him back a bag of dirty diapers and you set it at his feet and you say, can I get in to see him? And the guy just looks at you like, what, what are you talking about? And so you, you hustle off like a Labrador going to get more sticks for their, for its owner and you uh, sort through the dumpster behind Purdue's, and you find a big bag of rotten potatoes with the fruit flies coming out, and you set that at his feet. How about now? Now can I get in? And the guy just stands there. Like, what, what are you doing? And trip after trip after trip I make until I've got a huge big can of piled up smelly garbage with my chest puffed out. Is this enough? And the guy looks at me and says, all you had to do was ask. Didn't have to bring any of that. Didn't have to bring anything of value or of not value. But all I have to offer for God's gift, quite frankly, is garbage. I'm, assume, I'm, a, I'm trading this for a priceless treasure. My works mean nothing to my salvation. Nothing. God's grace takes care of my salvation. Unfortunately, the default, I think for me especially, I think for for many of us, is there has to be something we can do. We, we just keep trying to pay that back. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do. Faith. Faith is the one thing you bring to the table. 
for your salvation. You have faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and he takes care of the rest. That's it. So often I mess that up. I have one job, and that's faith. I still can't get that right. Faith. Going back to our list, the third thing Abraham had was a faith that is fully assured. Back to our verses, the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Abraham was convinced that God would do what he said he would do. Again, he had nothing to go off of other than God's word. For us, that faith should be so much easier because of the history and scripture we have. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. I'm never very good at math, especially... uh, Equations with no numbers in them, which math people do, apparently. Um, Our faith plus God's grace equals salvation. Our faith plus God's grace equals salvation, pure and simple. We have all we need. Um, Martin Luther said Romans 4.25 is the basic gospel in its most compact form. He said in these verses, the whole of Christianity is comprehended. The whole of Christianity, verse 25 says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's it. If you are sitting here today as somebody who is is unsure of where you stand with Jesus, maybe you don't know what grace is, maybe this whole Christianity thing is new, I don't know why you're here, maybe you don't know why you're here, Um, I would love to talk with you, talk you through that. You don't need to be unsure. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is and accept that you're lost without him, you can be certain of where you stand with Christ this morning. And that might be a small group here this morning. But I also want to talk to possibly a larger group because I have been in that group. If you're sitting here today as a believer, maybe even a long-time believer, maybe decades and decades, and you are certain or maybe not certain that you have done enough to satisfy God, I'd love to talk you through that struggle. There is tremendous freedom in knowing that God's grace paid that whole thing. It's a prison of what ifs and have I done enough or could I do more. It's freeing to know that your eternal salvation is based on God's grace and that alone. Uh, Paul Tripp puts out a Wednesday email, and a couple weeks ago, maybe some of you read it, he describes grace, and I think there's 11 points, something like 10 or 11, 12, something like that. And I want to read each of those. He says, Grace will require you to confess your unworthiness, but will never, ever make you feel alone or unloved. Grace will remind you again and again that you have no ability whatsoever to earn God's favor but will dispel your fear of not measuring up. Grace will confront you with the reality that you are way less than you thought you were, while it comforts you with the promise 
that you can be way more than you ever imagined. Grace will call you to imagine yourself with honesty and humility. I'm sorry, grace will call you to examine yourself with honesty and humility, but free you from being paralyzed by fearful introspection. Grace will ask you to admit your catalog of weaknesses while at the same time empowering you with newfound strength. Grace will keep reminding you of what you are not, so you will receive God's welcome to what you can now be. Grace will make you sadder than you have ever been in your life and give you cause for joy and celebration that nothing or no one can take away. Grace will blow up your little kingdom of one while it introduces you to a much better, more glorious king. Grace will work to expose your blindness while it gives you eyes to see. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it holds you before the promise of fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. If you don't know your Savior, or Jesus is your Savior, and you thought you knew please come talk with me or one of the elders, elder in the office. There is nothing more important you can do this morning, nothing more important you can do than be secure in your Savior's arms. No more doubt, no more fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, what can we say about your gift, Lord, other than thank you? You've proven yourself faithful time and time again. You'll do what you'll say you do every single time. Lord, please just help us grasp the depth of your love this morning. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to draw them. And I pray that you would do the same for believers, Lord, who are struggling this morning with whether or not they've done enough. Lord, help us to see your boundless grace. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.